Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox and with me in Vienna, Virginia, I have Ben Olson. Ben, how you doing? I'm hungry. <laughs> and in Valencia, California, from her home office, we have Rachel Gezersay. Rachel, how you doing? I am great. Did you eat breakfast? I did today, yes. Oh, that's good. So did I. Ben? I So I did eat breakfast. Um, I had those egg white things from Starbucks, but it's now almost one o'clock here, so that's why I'm hungry. I did Time not have lunch. lunch. Yeah. Okay. My bad. Well, we'll take care of this quickly so that you don't starve to death on the show. <laughs> the show must proceed or whatever. <laughs> so we invited Rachel uh, back on the show to talk about JD MBAs. We have some other stuff on the agenda as well. Uh, JD MBAs and just joint degrees generally is going to be the topic. Um, if you remember, boy, I wish I would have looked up the episode number. If we would have <laughs> any kind of act together, I would give you the reference for that. But uh, Rachel's been on the show before. She is the author of the Law Career Playbook. Hope we can get an update on the sales on that, Rachel. She's also an attorney at Langley LLP here in LA, and she's an adjunct law professor at USC. Boy, what else? What do, what do you not do, Rachel? <laughs> sleep. I don't sleep. So yeah. Much. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, boy, should we just dive straight in here to this email? Yeah, let's do sure. it. All right. Ben, why don't you read it? So this... Email is subject lined JD MBA and it's from Amanda. Thank you for writing in. Hello. Do you think you can make a podcast on applying to law school with the intention of getting your master's? Presumably her MBA. Should we apply to our master's program when we are applying to law school or after we complete our 1L? Some law schools require certain LSAT GRE scores to enroll in their master's programs. Uh, this is something I'm considering and would like to get other perspectives on the reality if I decide to get my master's at the same time. So my gut reaction to all of these things is to say, hey, why are you trying to pursue both of these options? But we wanted you to come on the show, Rachel, because I think this is more of a jobs question, right? Like what people are getting these two degrees because they want to go get, I don't know, some job that requires both. And that's where I get a little flummoxed. But I'm curious what you think and what you would tell people who want to do both. Right. You know, I mean, obviously, ultimately, it's a jobs question. But I also think, you know, there's a there's a huge consideration here about putting too much stress on yourself. Law school in and of itself is incredibly difficult. Um, you know, everyone talks about that first, that initial 1L foray into that first semester of 1L is just utterly life-changing for people and to add the added stress of, of another <laughs> degree on top of that, whether you do it in your first year or your second year, I think um, students really need to connect with people who have gone through that. And really, I mean, you know, my whole program is based on informational interviews and, you know, students who are considering this, they need to connect with a network of people who've done this and who, you know, succeeded and flourished and are now in a career that they love because of it. And they need to find out how these people got through it. So, you know, I always talk about going into these things eyes wide open. But I think in this case in particular, it can't just be something where you're just trying to, you know, check off and, and have all the bells and whistles and just hope that it's going to help you in the long run. You really have to have a very concerted uh, plan and, you know, really go in eyes wide open to these programs because it would be it's incredibly difficult to do that to yourself. 
listening to you say that reminded me of some podcast that I was listening to or book, and the person was talking about how easy it is to set the goal to run a marathon, but it's not until you're actually on mile 18 or something like that that you realize how hard it is to actually <laughs> accomplish the goal that you've set for yourself. And I can imagine a lot of people thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to go get my JD in, my MBA, and it's all going to be great until you're in it and right. trying to navigate that. And the marquee jobs, you know, you know, for, for a lot of law students, the marquee jobs, as I say, you know, are these big law jobs. They certainly don't require that, you know. And if you're thinking, oh, this is really going to help me to go in-house – well, frankly, you know, in-house jobs, you only get those after you've practiced for a few years at the marquee jobs. <laughs> and so, you know, while it may be beneficial for you and your as an in-house counsel to have that MBA degree, you know, the, the better plan would be to get your JD, go work in big law for a couple of years, go in-house and then have your new corporate job pay for your MBA, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. I always say, do you want to practice law or do you want to be in business? If you right. want to be in business then either get an MBA or actually don't just go into business. And if you want to be in law, then you, you need to be practicing law and that's going to trump everything else. Right. I have an MBA and to me, MBAs (laughs) just seem like they're something that impresses people who don't have MBAs. They also just seem like it's a thing that you do so that you can get promoted at in some management training program in at general electric or something like that. I I don't, I don't see where, I don't know. Lawyer shit seems like wizard school. And once you go to wizard school, you don't really need all that other stuff. Right. Like you can figure out all the business stuff. If you if you can make it through law school and the bar exam and legal practice, then I feel like you can figure out the, the really, to be honest, pretty rudimentary shit that they talk about in business school. At least that's my experience with an MBA. So I'm always puzzled when, when I have undergrads or young professionals talking about these joint programs. Do we even know of anybody who's done this successfully and like where it made sense? I, I don't personally know him, but yeah, I mean, you did suggest <laughs> that, Rachel, right? To reach out to people who have done that and felt like that was the key to their success. I guess right. that- yeah, and it's an easy that is, you know, I always talk about using LinkedIn as your your tool for for setting up this, you know, proposed network that you're gonna put together of of informational interviews of people you don't know yet, right? And LinkedIn, you can do an easy search and find people who have completed this these programs and and then ask them the frank questions. Was it worth it? You know, was this is this something you're glad that you did? Did this really help you get to where you are? And, and if so, how how did you do that? Um, and and you know, just set that up. If this is something you're thinking about for next year, start 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 these interviews next week, and really try to drill down and, and get the information from people. But you really, you know, you got to ask those hard questions because to me, right? I don't I don't know anyone, and I I know a lot of very successful lawyers and a lot of very successful business people, but you know, nobody. I don't know anyone who's gone through any of those programs. And if you can't find that person, right, if you can't find that person whose career you're trying to emulate by going down this path, then maybe it's not the right path. <laughs> like maybe it's not a path that actually exists well, for people. And, you know, if there's a particular school, um, that program that you're interested in, call that school. They, they you know, you're a consumer of that school or, or a potential consumer. You know, they have an obligation to you to provide you with a list of alumni and you can do it that way. 
um, you know, let the school do the work for you and give you a list of people to contact and you can find out how the program worked for them. And, and um, well, once again, ask the frank questions. Don't don't have it just be a, a sales pitch from the school. You really got to ask the people what 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 did this program do for them and was it worth it? So do we have any advice to about these questions um, about how, I mean, I guess that's, that's it, huh? We just, you need to find these mentors who can answer these questions as far as whether to do, do you do the joint application beforehand or do you do it after the 1L? Right, right. And get them to be specific about their path, you know, ask them, you know, what specifically did, did you do to get to where you are now? Um, you know, what people did you talk to? Who did you interview with? Um, what internships did you do in the summer? Did you have time to do internships in the summer doing such a program? Those kind of questions. Perfect. Can I ask you a little bit more about this, um, starting this process? Because I think those questions make a lot of sense, but I'm wondering how you get to a point where you can ask someone those questions. You said you go into LinkedIn, you search for people who have these joint degrees, and then how would you suggest starting the conversation? Well, you know, and in my book, all of this, this is all part of the same process. But in my book, I have chapters on this about how, how to sort of do the information download on the person before you even talk to them mm-hmm. so that you educate yourself on their background, on their achievements, on their resume, what they've done, you know, where they've worked, where they are working now, what their experience is. And then from that, you formulate the specific targeted questions, you know, on this topic to ask them, okay. So when you did that externship at such and such company over the summer and you got to work on the business side and the legal side, you know, was that because you were in the joint program? Did you get that opportunity because of what the connections the school gave you? You know, you can use sort of the information that you get online to 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 flow out your and, and flesh out your questions that you ask in these info interviews. So that's for once you have the interview. But I, I guess I'm wondering, how do you get to that point even? Oh, to get the, you mean to get the person to talk to you? Yeah, like an initial <laughs> email. Right. That's easy. I mean, I think that especially if you come at it, especially as an undergrad or, or a first year, you know, law student looking to transfer into one of these programs, you know, an early stage person looking to get in, you let the person know, look, I, you know, I see that you went to this school. I'm interested in this school. I'm where you were five years ago. Would you be willing to meet with me for coffee just for, you know, 15 minutes? I'll, I'll buy the I'll buy the coffee. Um, I would just love to get I'm really trying to figure out what this is and just be really human with them and let them know, you know, let them know the struggle. And, and generally people will be pretty nice mm-hmm. as long as they know it'll be a short meeting <laughs> um, yeah. and they'll, you know, and, and it's a volume game. You, you have to you have to go. And, and that's why getting the information from the school, getting it from LinkedIn, you know, doing your due diligence to get the names together is really important because yeah, not everyone's going to get back to you, but some people, most people will, if, especially if you, you stay on them and, and try to make it flexible with their schedule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Do you think coffee is the best thing to go for Rachel or would you go for a phone call or maybe trade emails? <laughs> I, or? I, I start with coffee. I, I make the suggestion with coffee. And then, you know, if you're too busy, I could do a phone call too. So you do it in the alternative. I actually have scripts in my book to help people with this process. Cause I know right. how hard it hard it is to do the cold, the cold reach out. So, you know, there's, there's short things you can do. I mean, I know personally when I get these emails, I like to be given an option, you know, can you meet for, can you meet for lunch, coffee, or, or have a quick call? I, I never want to do lunch. It's just too, I don't have time, <laughs> right. but I, I have time for coffee and I often do coffee meetings with people, especially if they stick with me and they're, and they're flexible with my schedule. Great. Cool. This is kind of a disjointed interview, but how's, uh, how's the book tour going? You still on tour? 
Yeah. So I am, um, I am taking these couple months off because we're extremely busy at work and, you know, my, my day job of being a trial attorney, we've had a couple trials, um, and we have a big one coming up. Um, so it's a bit of a crazy summer, but I have a bunch of dates scheduled coming in the fall to go back. I'm going up to Seattle to speak to students there. And I've got a big event in um, DC actually in November. So I'm excited about that, but um, the book sales are going quite well on Amazon. Um, I'm I'm really happy with the word of mouth. People are loving the book. They're reaching out to me. Um, they're doing the, doing the deal um, and letting me know how it's going. And I'm just I'm really happy with with how the word's getting out there. You have your contact information in your book, don't you? I do. <laughs> I'm pretty, yeah. I mean, a, a quick guesser say is not, you know, it's, it's no, it's not a Michael Smith name. <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find online as well. Um, and people just call me in my office, which, you know, is fine. I don't always pick up, but I, I do return the call um, or the email. You know, my thing is, you know, people will do the initial reach out, but they don't follow up. And I do, I get really busy, but when someone follows up with me, I'm usually, I, I get that's my person. Right. And so I usually get back to people, but I love it. I love hearing how people are doing, especially right now. You know, now we're in prime time, right? We're 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 in June. Um, for students who are in law school, OCI is going to start in August. So you know, it's really the time. You know, for students about to go to law school, you need to start really building your network now, so that you're not overwhelmed with that in law school. So now is the time, and a lot of students have been getting in touch with me with their lists of people with for help on LinkedIn, and you know, it's a it's a busy time for students, but I think students should take advantage of it now because they have the time because school's out for the summer. I guess if you're in law school, you'd got your, they're getting their list together for OCI. What if they're not yet in law school? Right. Which is really, you know, the, this is the best time because you're, you're done with college, you know, whether you're a junior or a sophomore or a senior and you're completely done and you're in between that year, you're going to take a year off. The summertime is the time when you can really build that list of people, you know, through LinkedIn or through professors or through, you know, calling these companies or schools and getting their lists and then starting to reach out and, and being, you know, making consistent coffee and lunch appointments with people to really build out your network. The summer is the time to do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm really busy this summer, but a lot of lawyers actually slow down in the summer and they may have more time to meet with you. And so it's just a great opportunity because you have more time. They have more time to really build out, um, build out these relationships. Awesome. Ben, anything else for Rachel? No, I think it's wonderful advice for future law students to start building your network. Now you don't realize how quickly you're going to be through law school and then looking for a job. And so I appreciate everything you're doing, Rachel, with your book. It's great. Thank you. That book is called The Law Career Playbook, and it is available on Amazon. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Rachel. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. This show is going to air on June 10th. That means we are a couple weeks away from the June 27 score release for the June LSAT. Hey, Ben, what did you hear about the uh, June LSAT? Uh, same as usual. <laughs> yeah, totally. Some people hated the the games section. Some people loved it. Some people hated the experimental games. Um, yeah. What did you hear? What did you hear? Yeah, I, it's the it's exactly the same every single time, and I never can predict who's gonna kill it and who's not. The people who I who I have all the faith in the world in, you know, the people who have scored one seventy plus on multiple practice tests. Yeah. Some of them do great and some of them don't do so great. And the ones who do great are probably done with the LSAT. Maybe. I mean, 
students are pretty bad at predicting their scores too, but yeah. they, you know, like this one tutoring student that I've been working with who was scoring in the high one seventies regularly, she did not do great on the, whatever the last test was, was mm-hmm. that March now? It's hard to keep track of them now that there's more, <laughs> um, but she got like a 169 or 168 or 169 or something like that. And she was devastated, but she just texted me yesterday and said she felt like this one was way easier and it went way smoother. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I knew that you were going to get it done eventually. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Meanwhile, I have another student who's been scoring high one seventies who took it yesterday for the second time with a 172 on record, I think, and trying to beat it. And she didn't finish four questions on the reading comp or something. And she's freaking out that she, you know, should I cancel? Yeah. Yeah. Which of course, what do you think, Ben? Somebody who's been consistently scoring in the high one seventies, but they don't finish the reading comp on their official test. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on what they mean by they didn't finish, but I'm assuming they didn't get to the last one or two questions, in which case it says four questions. Ooh, four. Yeah. Did she guess on him? Yeah. Mm. Well, then I would probably keep it. Yeah. The thing I always say is if there's even a 10% chance that it's one point higher than your score on record, you know, that's like, there is upside, there's upside there. Yeah. There's such a huge upside and such a little downside that that's why it's lopsided that way. Yeah. If there's no upside, then cancel. Yeah. Like if you had to leave the room for an entire section and you didn't even bubble in guesses, mm-hmm. you know, and you have a 172 on record. Well, okay, then cancel. Yeah. Like that's an emergency. That's what cancels are for. But if you sat there and did the whole test and you just don't think you did your best because there were a few questions that you had to guess on at the end of a section. I mean, you, <laughs> if she got everything else on the test, right, she could still score like 177. Mm hmm. And even if she missed a couple, she could still score 174 or five. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying to talk her out of canceling. And even if the score comes back and it's a 168, who cares? Like, that's not, that's not, they're not going to give a shit. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you want to keep, you want to, you want to keep it for the upside because the downside really doesn't matter. And if she cancels it or if it comes back with a bad score, she's just going to have to take it again anyway. So what's the point of like the, what does the cancel do for you? Nothing. That's what I say. Um, July 15th is going to be the transition test to the new digital LSAT. It'll be half on pencil and paper and half on uh, digital. The last day to register for the September LSAT is August 1st. So you've got a couple months still to think about that. Uh, that September LSAT is going to be on September 21st. You can email the show anytime. We love getting uh, emails from listeners, questions, comments, anything you want to talk about. That's uh, help at thinkinglsat.com. Send us your selfie if you're so inclined when you do that. Um, you can listen to the show everywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, thinkinglsat.com, wherever you want to find us. Please uh, subscribe and the five stars and leave us a review to do all the things, please. It, it really helps us. Anything else you want to talk about, Ben, before we dive into these emails? Yeah, really quick. Last Saturday was the second Saturday that we proctored a digital LSAT at yeah. Strategy Prep in Washington, D.C., and we did it just like the official LSAT in the sense that the proctor controlled everyone's timer in the room. 
and uh, move them along from section to section, just like what will happen when you go take the LSAT digitally, if you end up taking it in July digitally, and what will happen in September. And so that was a success. It was fun to start putting that into practice. And I know that you hosted an exam as well, right? Yeah, it's a crazy new world we're getting ourselves into, Ben. Um, I proctored for my uh, a few of my guinea pig students in San Francisco. We did it remotely. Um, I was in L.A., and they were like at home in the Bay Area, various homes in the Bay Area. And I proctored a test for them exact same way, where I was in control of the timing and uh, start and stop the sections. I met them on Zoom um, mm-hmm. online. So this is something that we are uh, going to be able to offer to Demon subscribers? Exactly, yeah. So if you are a Demon subscriber right now or have a free trial uh, at lsatdemon.com, if you log in and then click on the menu and timed tests, you can take a test that's proctored uh, by LSAT Demon by just clicking on new. A new test, or you can join a live proctored test that's going on if there is one going on by clicking on join group. There aren't any going on right now, but we are starting to offer more and more just as we did last weekend. And as we figure that out, we'll let people know how they can join them and start taking proctored online tests with a real proctor. It's kind of Forward and backward at the same time. I don't know how to describe it. (laughs) Well, what it is, is it's awesome because if you're in, you know, um, the middle of nowhere, Jackson County, Missouri, and you can't find a decent LSAT class, you know, Mm -hmm. but you want that experience of having proctored tests, well, we can offer that to you now. Yeah. Live proctored tests. Yes. Live proctored tests. I mean, you can... (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's true, but it, I do think that it gives the experience. I, there's something about that energy, um, good or bad energy mm-hmm. where, because the zoom chat room or whatever we end up using, I mean, we can use zoom for now, but the, the, that chat room gives a lot of the same experience as being in a, in a real test. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there waiting nervously with the other people. Yep. You can choose to chit chat or not chit chat. I noticed that my students, like all of them, turned off their camera immediately. Um, <laughs> but they <laughs> could the equivalent see you, of, I guess, right? So yeah, they could talking. see me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could see me, and it's the equivalent of, uh, I guess, them not making eye contact with anyone else in the room, just <laughs> sitting, sitting there, looking, looking forward, waiting for the proctor to start the test. But then, yeah, when everybody was there and ready. Uh, I said, okay, here we go, and hit the go button. And then I spoke to them in between each of the sections. Uh, and yeah, it, it worked. And then as soon as they were done, you know, they clicked finish, or, or I clicked finish, and then bang, they got their scores. And they also found out which ones they, I mean, they, they were able to start the review process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Using the demon. And then also all that stuff goes into their study history and the demon learns from their mistakes and they're just off to the races with their prep. It was awesome. I, I also encouraged them to hang out for a little while in the Zoom room uh, after I was gone, which they did. 
and like reviewed together, like chatted oh, and, wow. and reviewed yeah. together. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So look for those announcements um, via the LSAT demon. I don't know if we're going to use the Slack group or email or what we're going to do for that, Ben. We do have, have uh, email. We can email everyone. That is a thing that we just added. So that that's one way of doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, Great. I don't know. We're, we're like figuring this out as we yeah, go. Yeah, we're going to have to see what the demand is for it. And we're going to have to work on scheduling in times, like when we can get a proctor to do it, whether we're going to do it or whether we're going to get proctors to do it for us. But um, we will have those coming very soon for, um, and, and Ben, you're already doing it on tablets in the in, in DC in the classroom. How's that going? Uh, it's how the going, tablet's working It's going out? well, actually. Uh, there were a lot of, potential problems it's kind of like life i guess you think oh these things could go wrong and then you go and half of those things are not nearly the problem that you thought they would be but then three other things that you had no awareness of are like oh we need to worry about that but uh students have been very patient and accommodating and we've gotten it to work both times and it's we've learned a lot from each administration and so this coming Saturday, we're going to have another one with a whole new group of students, uh, actually September students who are planning to take digital only, right? Because they're not going to have that 50-50 chance of taking paper. Yep. Uh, and so they're going to be taking a digital test, and I'm even more confident that that will go even smoother. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm going to be with my July students, my, my classes that are just starting right now for the July test. It's a short class, you know, for, for the July test. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do half and half uh, digital and paper. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. are going to show up and not know what, what test they're taking. And Yeah, um, yeah, that's good. I'm going to give some of them a tablet, give some mm-hmm. of them paper, and then have them. Uh, oh, they're actually going to be sitting side by side taking the test, which is, who cares? That's fine. And then... Yeah, it'll be just totally tablet for the forever, I guess, beyond that. Yeah, that's right. So, by the way, if you want to learn about these live classes, you go to strategyprep.com for DC, go to foxlsat.com for LA and San Francisco, and go to lsatdemon.com if you're anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. We got you. Um, (laughs) Let's jump into this email, huh? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, So this is from Reed. Thank you. How many times should you take the test if you want a better score? My Kaplan teacher said, at most, two, three, if you absolutely have to. Do law schools look down upon a certain number of attempts? Thank you, Reed. And then you have Nathan's response. Do you want me to read this or do you want to just say? (laughs) You can if you want. (laughs) Sure. I fired this off in one second back to Reed. Kaplan sucks so bad. You should take it. That's like, ugh. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I was like literally reading it, each letter. <laughs> um, Kaplan sucks so bad. You should take it as many times as necessary to achieve the scores you are capable of achieving on your practice test, which you should take at least 10 of and probably more before you take the official test. Don't take the official until you're happy with your PTs, your practice tests. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think that what you're saying here, you should take it as many times as necessary to achieve the scores you are capable of achieving on your practice tests. A key point that people may be missing here is that you're not saying go take it officially uh, all as many times as you want. Take it as many times as you need to get the scores that you've already started achieving on your practice test. So get the scores on your practice test, then go start taking it officially, and those official 
times should be as many as you need to do whatever you've done on your practice tests. This is why these programs that, that don't emphasize prep tests just suck so bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why they don't emphasize prep tests. I don't know why they talk about theory for six weeks before they start having people take practice tests. But you should be taking practice tests regularly, starting at the very beginning of your prep. You should be keeping track of your results. You should be watching your scores grow over time. After you've done 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 prep tests, you'll start to get some sort of a sense of where your true potential might lie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once your practice test scores reflect something that you could actually apply to law school with, then you should take the official LSAT for, for keeps like for a real score. Yeah. And if your practice test, if your official score is at or above the median of, you know, what you think your true range is, Mm -hmm. then you should probably just stop taking the official. That's it. You're done. One and done. That's fine. That happens. But if you score below anywhere below the median of your, you know, last 10 practice tests or whatever, Mm -hmm. I just think it would be foolish not to take it again. And if you score below the median again, I think you would be foolish not to take it again. And so this Kaplan teacher is saying at most two, three, if absolutely, if you absolutely have to, that's so fucking stupid Mm -hmm. because you can get unlucky three times. You know, these, these people, especially, I don't know, like these real high scorers that we, we have all the time, right, Ben, you've got people in your class who average 170 mm-hmm. by the, by the time the class is over, they're averaging 170. Yeah. That person can score 169 three times in a row pretty easily. But that person also has 173s and 174s in their range. Yeah. Are, really? You think they really should only that? Oh no, sorry. Ooh. Boy, you took it a third time. Yeah. No, no, you're done. That's it. You're done. If they take it a fourth time and score 174, that's a life-changing difference. 174 and 169 are not the same score. Nope. And so do law schools look down upon a certain number of attempts? Maybe. Yes, Yes, but... (laughs) The, the amount that they look down is so overshadowed by the higher score that right. it doesn't matter. And right. it, it's, it, what matters <laughs> is now you didn't get that score and now they're going to look down on your low score. That's what they're going to look down on. Or yes. a score that's maybe not low, but low for your potential, right? That's what yes. it comes down to. And we're not talking about taking it a thousand times to try to get lucky. We're not talking about like, you've already got a good score on record, but I'm going to take it again, even though I don't think I can improve, but I think I might just try to get lucky and start putting bad scores on my record after I already have a good score. Like, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is your practice test scores are higher than your highest official score. If that's you, if your practice test scores are higher than your highest official score, then you really should take it again, no matter how many times you've taken it before. Mm-hmm. It's fairly straightforward advice. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. Thanks, Reed, for writing in. All right. We have this personal statement. Check this out. Okay. Uh, this was an email that came straight to me, I guess. I, well, he was also emailing Sarah. Anyway, hi, Nathan. My name, and feel free to read it on the show, is Micah. 
I am a senior at Arizona State University with a triple major in poli-sci, English Lit, and French with an LSAC GPA of 4.04. Wow. I have been listening to Thinking LSAT for about four months now and love the show. I have done most of my prep based off of advice from the podcast, timed sections with review, etc., and have brought my score up from a diagnostic of 158 in February to a current score range of 169 to 175. I am taking the test yesterday on June 3rd. Anyway, I sent in a personal statement a little under a week ago. That was a first draft. However, listening to episode 194 today led me to take a second look and revise a good deal. Uh, okay, so he, <laughs> I accept the challenge that you and Ben made in the last episode for a good personal statement from someone who has actually taken the advice from the show. While I think that it is quite good, I would love for you guys to tear it apart as I am well aware of the fact that writing is never perfect and can always use more work. Spoiler, there are four correctly used semicolons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My God. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Thanks uh, again. For, <laughs> thanks again for all you do, Micah. All right. Well, as long as you know what sure we're going to do. Hmm? Yeah, here it is. No, Micah, um, I mean, that's a well-written email, and um, Micah is, is being bold by using semicolons uh, and telling us about them in advance. But, and uh, hmm. and, and M-dash is here. So we got a couple things about this email before we jump into the personal statement. Spoiler, there are four M-dash correctly used M-dash semicolons, so he's emphasizing uh, correctly used. <laughs> Which is interesting because if you're going to emphasize that, then let's hope that they are correctly used. The other thing is, be, yeah. uh, he has et cetera in here, so he's listened to oh, the show, I did but see that. maybe not has not heard our complaints about that or disagrees with them, of course. Yeah, or, yeah, it's a it's a little tick. Uh, I'm willing to grant him that because he has pretty good credentials, and the rest of that email is pr- is pretty good. Mm. I'm not That's so what we say all the time, yet. right? <laughs> yeah. If you're if you if you're good enough, you can get away with some shit. So so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Micah, here we go. I fell in love with French in my sophomore year. This is your first sentence. It's got to be your most important sentence. I'm not sure that falling in love which is a passive activity is what you want in your first sentence. Yeah. It's, I will get, I'll give him though that it's very short. And so I think the reader naturally just kind of flows into the next sentence. Sure. So why don't you read the first two and then we'll talk about it. I'm still unsure about which sophomore year he's referring to presumably college, but I don't know that I, I, when I read it, I also was like, are we talking about high school now? Yep. Because I don't want to talk about high school. Micah is a senior in college, which means, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of like adult experience to talk about. Um, So he's only looking back two years here, but the reader might, yeah, think you're talking about your French high school class, which would not be good. (laughs) But anyway. I fell let's, in love with my French teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Well, I don't know. Like this is, I'm just trying to, rewrite this sentence here. okay let's so start anyways. over and then and read the first couple sentences and then we'll talk about it okay uh i fell for the language the culture the food and thanks to a lucky pairing on a group project 
Oh, geez. The pretty girl who sat in the front row of my French class, who I married in February. Whoa. Okay. Uh, I added French as a third major, but class wasn't enough for me. I met regularly with classmates, led tutoring sessions, and went to professors' office hours to practice. I sought out French speakers everywhere I could. Semicolon. I talked about my classes at work. Semicolon. I spoke it incessantly at home, even though nobody in my family understood a word, period. I still couldn't get enough. So, in, capitalized, 2017. Yeah, just typo there, but that's okay. Yeah, well, I don't like the comma, too. It disrupts the flow. So, in 2017, I founded a student organization called the Cultural Attaches. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Our mission was to provide language students with a weekly opportunity to practice their languages and to con- and connect with other cultures. After about a semester, we had over 60 members. All right. So what do you think? Let's talk about content first. The thing I really like about it, and it seems, I mean, I think he's taking our advice here, or at least this is the type of thing that we encourage people to do. Mm-hmm. is to he's putting a lot of i did this i did that mm-hmm. i did this other thing mm-hmm. you know i met regularly is not that impressive but i led tutoring sessions is very impressive mm-hmm. i went to I professor's went office, to hours, office hours, hours. Yeah, whatever i mean hey he's that's at least he's going out doing something right like i so i can i'm i'm i can see micah walking around campus doing shit mm-hmm I sought out French speakers everywhere I could. Uh, I, I talked about my classes at work. I, I don't really love, I spoke it incessantly at home, even though nobody in my family understood a word because that makes him sound like annoying, (laughs) annoying, a little crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, I get it that he's like trying to be kind of like light about it or whatever, lighthearted about it, but it's just, I don't know that it really justifies placement in the first paragraph uh, that parenthetical like is it really worth he's got a parent he's got parentheses around even though nobody in my family understood a word is that really worth it Mm -hmm. with the semicolons and everything here yeah i don't hate those semicolons i think if there were periods it would be a little i don't think it would work quite as well Mm -hmm. i think that's a decent use of semicolons because they're they are connected ideas and he's trying to link them together instead of having it be so punctuated with the period. So I think those are fine. I love, I founded a student organization called the cultural attaches mm-hmm. because, okay, bang, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. And then telling me that after a semester you had 60 members. I mean, that's not nothing like that's, that's the type of thing I want to hear you doing when you're talking about your undergraduate career. That's the type of thing I want to know about. Yeah. So I love all that. Um, as far as your love affair with French, I just don't know that that's what you want to talk about. The th- what do you think about the pretty girl that he married? I, I think it's distracting. I feel like this whole yeah. first paragraph could be a lot shorter and jump right into the professional things that he's done and that would actually allow him to avoid using these semicolons which on some level kind of bring attention to themselves when you use things that are unusual 
you want them to bring attention to your message, not to themselves. And I feel like two in one sentence is, is doing that. But in any case, I agree with you that we should get rid of the parenthetical. I would get rid of, I would get rid of the second sentence as well. I fell for the language, the culture, the food, and thanks to like, yeah, the whole rest of the second sentence doesn't, is probably not subject matter worthy, but the first part of it is just telling. I fell for the language, the culture, the food. Like, uh, I just have to accept that you did. I don't know how that helps advance you. Like, that's just, again, it's a passive verb. I fell in love with French. I fell for the language. Okay, so these things just happen to you. Whereas when you say I added French as a third major, I wouldn't say, but class wasn't enough for me. I would just jump right into what you did too. I led yeah. tutoring sessions. Actually, I wouldn't even talk about that. I mean, I, I think on some level that's good, but I would the thing that's that's most important here is that you created this student organization. Yeah. It was successful. So by talking about these other things, you actually bury the what should maybe even be his first sentence, right? In 2017, I founded yep. a student organization called the Cultural Attachés. After a semester, we had over 60 members. Um, I would actually... Our mission is to provide language students with... Or even... I haven't even might cut with our mission. I might just say, we, we provide, provide yeah, yeah. language students with an, a weekly opportunity to practice their languages and connect with other cultures. Holy cow! You started this organization. It's big. You guys are having meetings in which people are practicing their languages. It sounds like a very practical problem, and you're solving it. As opposed to, like, it almost feels like an LSAT reading comp where it, the main point's a little bit buried in, like, random discussion that doesn't actually push forward the main point, right? When This I is was super done, common. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I guess w when we finished reading this first paragraph, I was kind of thinking, like, how would I rewrite this? And I was, half of my thoughts were obsessing about how we should talk about French. This isn't about French. This is about leading this organization and giving people the opportunity to practice their languages in an environment where they don't have those opportunities. And yes, I would like to hear how you maybe took French and led tutoring sessions in French and you have a passion for, don't say passion, but that you like French. I mean, I don't mind learning about that, but not at the expense of learning about something so much more professionally impressive. Yeah. This happens all the time when we review people's personal statements, when, when we're working with people through our personal statement service, we're, they'll send us a draft and, and we're very frequently like, okay, cut all this beginning stuff all the way down to like, there it is. That's your first sentence. And it's yeah. amazing, Ben, that we both went to the exact same sentence. I mean, yeah. we want it to stay in 2017. I founded a student organization called the cultural attaches. Boom. Then tell me about it. There's so much to say there too. You can't just found an organization overnight. You can't get 60 members, uh, easily. What, people are just desperate for organizations? No. What did you do? You Did you have a leadership team that you put together? Did you just start putting out flyers? Like, how did you make this happen? There's so much to say there, but instead we're talking about how you fell for the language, the food, some girl in your class, which is wonderful. Congratulations on finding love. That's more important than law school. But when it comes to getting into law school, we need to talk about this stuff. Yeah, the beginning stuff, falling in love with French in your sophomore year is something that a high school kid could do. Mm -hmm. All the stuff, all, all these things, 
falling for the language, culture, food, and some girl. Um, that could that's all that could all have happened in high school. And so, if you you could make this, you could you could definitely mention that this is the ASU cultural attaches, mm-hmm. right? To make sure that we know we're talking about college. Although, I guess if you say 2017, we know you're talking about college too. But, but I think it would add. It would it would certainly help, right? Yeah, um, yeah, it, yeah. Because then it just looks like a real adult thing that you want to try to highlight things that no one else could have done. Mm-hmm. And falling in love with French is, is a thing that any high schooler who takes French could do. Yeah. Okay. Wanna... I'm, I'm really glad, though, that you submitted this, Micah, because... Me too. This is better than so many <laughs> statements that we've seen, but at the same time, like all of them that we've worked on, it could be so much better, too, and have a real impact as soon as the person starts reading it. Uh, okay, so the next paragraph starts. In the spring of 2017, I took 23 credits of upper division classes while managing a, f- a coffee shop full-time. Hmm. This sounds like poor judgment. Like, I understand that you're trying to show that you did a lot of stuff, but all of a sudden I'm thinking, why'd you do that? Why? 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 <laughs> or, and or, it sounds like a lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, and really or happened. it sounds yeah. like overselling. Yeah. Like, ooh, upper division classes. Mm-hmm. Like upper division classes don't necessarily have to be hard. Nope. And so I agree. Combination of bad judgment slash <laughs> lie slash overselling is just, this is one of those facts that even if it's a fact, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't help you. Mm-hmm. Because it makes it just everyone's bullshit detector goes off. Uh, anyway, sorry. No, it's okay. So then the, it continues. The club, referring, hmm. I don't know that I would call this a club. I think no. I would call it an organization. Yeah, and his message here, I think, goes totally sideways. Yeah, it sounds like this is, yeah, okay. So anyways, it continues. The club became a lifeline for me, rooting me in a social life and providing me with much-needed prescribed downtime each week. So it sounds like the organization is easy to run or, or Yeah, something. so now you're undermining your own case here. I, well, I mean, or you're just making a case that I didn't think you should be made. You know, I, I want you to really sell me on cultural attaches. That was in your first paragraph, and that seems like the thing you really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, or it, it's, it would be a great thing to talk about because you're just a college student and, you know, you probably don't have tons and tons of professional experience. Although managing a coffee shop full time is pretty professional experience that, you know, maybe that's your real story. If the, if the club is actually just a social club and not that hard, maybe the coffee shop is a better topic. Mm -hmm. But if, if the, if the club is actually a, you know, student professional organization, that really means something, then I think you don't want to soft sell it as a social downtime. Yeah. And then it's also like, okay, so now you got 23 credits of upper division classes and managing coffee shop, a coffee shop full time. That still seems like a lie to me. Like, was it really 40 hours a week? And you were managing it? Were you the managing a coffee shop full time? while doing 23 credits of of upper division classes. And I mean, now the club, of course the club is now just downtime. 
Yeah. I mean, now it sounds like you're going there one hour a week to, to chill with your friends. Oh, but now it's sw- <laughs> now it switches gears again. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So he continues. I spent hours each week working to hours each week working to improve the experience for other students. Colon, drafting a constitution, setting up leadership positions, and promoting our weekly meetings all over campus. <laughs> this is a this is again a thing where I think lists backfire. People are I think are trying yep. to show that they're doing a lot, but it actually ends up feeling like. <sighs> I don't know how to describe it. Like each one of these things could be something that you dig into and talk about. And by brushing over it, it almost feels like they weren't as hard as you're trying to make it sound like. Yeah. Yeah. It right. So either they weren't that big of a deal. Like, in one meeting you drafted a constitution and appointed leaderships mm-hmm. people and mm-hmm. made some flyers and tacked them up all over campus. By the way, I don't know why I hate all over campus so much. <laughs> it's, it's, a, you could yeah, have just started across campus. Yeah, yeah. All over every, every inch of campus. Like, all right, just, you could put across campus, but if, if you, instead of the list, I love it how much you hate lists, Ben, but <sighs> instead of the list, I mean, man, drafting a constitution for a brand new program that you started my guess is you learned some things or had some debates or maybe not, but like either talk about that or just leave it out and talk about other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Like at least it seems like that deserves its own sentence. Yeah. Like if these things are as challenging as you're presenting them, then they're worthy of discussion. Like setting up leadership positions could be challenging and um, require some thought. And why did you choose those positions? And what has happened from it? What was the problem that you were trying to solve? Or are you just fulfilling leadership positions? Like, oh yeah, you be the quote treasurer. <laughs> Great. And it's like, yeah, well, no wonder you put it as one item in a list because it wasn't really anything. I don't know. I mean, that's just the sense I'm getting. It's weird too because yeah. like, like you spent hours each week doing this and you're doing a full-time job managing a coffee shop and you're taking 23 credits of upper division classes. Like this is starting to sound like uh, skippy or what was his name? <laughs> Splitty. Splitty. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Which I mean, you know, these future lawyers of America really are very diligent and just, they're very impressive people. Like mm-hmm. they don't sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Like Rachel's not lying. She doesn't sleep. She just works all the time. Yeah. And so you know, I'll buy that, but Hey, let's do some math. You know, 23 credits of upper division classes. Don't they say in school that you're supposed to be spending, what is it? Two hours, three hours outside of class for every hour in class. Yeah. So let's say two. So if it's two hours conservatively, two hours outside of class for every hour inside class, I think 23 credits means basically 23 hours of class, right? Well, I'm not sure about that actually because but it could be projects and stuff, yeah. but still yeah, in that yeah. case you should yeah. be spending three hours probably per credit. Yeah. I, I would just think a total of three hours per credit. Shit. Even if it's two hours per credit. Yeah. Okay. If it's two hours per credit and it's twenty three credits, then that's forty six hours a week. Mm-hmm. Plus managing a coffee shop full time. Readers of my generation think that full time is forty hours. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we've got 
46 hours of school and 40 hours of work is 86 hours. Yeah. Uh, 86 divided by seven is that's already 12 and a half hours a day. Yeah. So you're working 12 and a half hours every day. (laughs) That's seven days a week. That's Mm -hmm. no days off Mm -hmm. 12 and a half hours a day. Seven days a week is what you've committed to in that first sentence. Mm -hmm. And now you're spending hours each week working to improve the experience for other students (laughs) That's also telling there, by the way, like working to improve the experience for other mm-hmm. students. Instead of that, just say what you did. But I drafted a constitution. I set up leadership yeah. positions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just, I don't know. I, I think you're going to be setting off the bullshit detector here. I, I would prefer something just a little more about what you did without. These are kind of grandiose claims is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think the reason you don't like all over campus is because it's more, it's weird. It's like people are confused because they have to sell themselves to the school, but the way they end up selling themselves is they overemphasize things that don't matter. And, and so then that kind of stuff turns, turns us off. And they undersell things that do matter, like things that you actually did. Promoting our weekly meetings, I don't care if you promote them all over campus or on a particular social media channel that's targeted ads. All I care about is how many people came and were you successful? And so it feels like you're trying to make yourself successful. It then makes it that's overselling. And so then you start to feel like it's less successful. You had me at your membership count. There you go. Yeah. Right. Like that speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. And now you're just undercutting your own case by now. I've, now I'm picturing you on your bicycle going around plaster, you know, putting up <laughs> flyers and it's just kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't really care. Like that's yeah. not now it looked like a college, you know, like just a, some college kid thing. That's not, I'm not that impressed with. I was impressed when you founded a student organization and got 60 members, but I want to hear about you doing professional shit promoting meetings across campus. Doesn't sound, I don't know. It just doesn't sound like a lawyer. No. Sounds like any other college kid. Yeah. Okay. He continues. I've also used the ASU cultural attaches as a platform to market and expand ASU's 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 annual language fair where high school language students from all over Arizona come to ASU to participate in fluency competitions. Um, I really don't like as a platform to market and expand ASU's annual language fair. Like again, that's where you're saying all over campus. What did you actually do? This is like corporate speak as a platform. We will. Yeah. As a platform, they could kill that for sure. And then I knew you were going to jump all over the market and expand. <laughs> it's like, no, pick one. Yep. You don't, you don't have to market and expand it. You can. And if you're going to expand it, you know, I could, if you told me that ASU has a language fair where these high school language students come, I mean, that's like kind of, that sounds kind of impressive. I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't need from all over Arizona. I don't care about that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, tell me how many students maybe, or tell me, tell me how many schools or maybe just leave that out, but not from all over Arizona. That doesn't actually sound that impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Tell me what you actually did. Yeah, the whole as a platform to market and expand. It's like, uh, how, how? Please let me see. Yeah. Otherwise, you I actually on your think Facebook you're, page. Yeah, that you're not doing anything, right? Then, or what you're doing is not that impressive. This is what this stuff does. Is it like makes us think uh, you're not really doing anything? Whereas if you actually did stuff, you had a attaché meeting. And at the meeting, you invited high school students to come. I don't know. What did you do? How did you use it as a platform to market and expand their annual language annual language fair? What happened? That yeah. would be impressive. Even if it's yeah. not, even if it doesn't seem impressive to you, people doing things that work are impressive, even if they seem boring to the person doing them. Yeah, because people just, there are, people watch too much TV, you know, like people just don't do things. Mm-hmm. So if you show me, if you just, show, you know, it, just show me you working at this fair or show me, show how you promoted it, mm-hmm. show the results. Mm-hmm. Like, did it increase attendance by 25% or were you able to recruit five new high schools? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, you know, know that, that awesome. you actually increased or expanded their annual language fair versus you did some things and the language fair happened to be bigger this year. It's like, is that because of cultural attaches or ASU's own marketing department or whatever? Right. Yep. Completely. Okay. So he continues in May of 2018, I was elected president of the cultural attaches. I'm confused. I thought you founded it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I mean, I would assume that that's not a very impressive achievement to be elected president of the thing you founded. Yeah. That would be assumed. Yeah. Hmm. Though attendance was excellent. (sighs) (laughs) Again, telling like, what does excellent mean to you? I have a, uh, you know, so anyways, I, I saw, okay, let me just start over. Although attendance was excellent, I saw potential to grow the organization even further. All of our members were interested in other languages and cultures, but few were native foreign language speakers. So, comma, don't do this come after so, by the way, you gotta stop. So, I expanded and diversified our membership. Um, okay. How? Too vague, too broad, too yep. high level. Like you got to just say what you did. Yep. You, you did not diversify your membership. <laughs> that's not, well, that's just not an actual, that's not an act. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What is that called? That's a verbification of an adjective. Yeah. Right. Diversity. Yeah. Like diverse. We are diverse. Diversity, I guess, is a noun. Diverse is an adjective, mm-hmm. but diversified is is a verb that it's, it doesn't actually say anything because mm. I, I don't know, like I diversified my portfolio would mean you sold some of one thing and bought some of this other different thing to diversify your membership. I just want to know what you did. Yeah. Anyway. So here he gets into some details. Let's see what he says here to drum up interest. I delegated members to promote the cultural attaches in sim- similar clubs, semicolon. To add to the diversity of the attendees, I reached out to international students through ASU's International Students Association who wanted to reconnect with their culture through language. Okay, I 
I would not use a semicolon here. I nope. would break these up and let's talk about them separately. I delegated members to promote the cultural attaches in similar clubs. I would not here. I feel like delegated is again, trying to oversell, like make it sound like you did something more impressive. Uh, it's kind of interesting. There's this phenomenon where if you're talking to someone in an, in a company and they, they say we, like, oh, we can do this for you or we can do that for you. Oftentimes it means that they have more power than if they say I can do this for you. It's the opposite of what you'd expect. But I feel like what's going on here is by saying I delegated, you have, you're trying to present yourself as like a leader, <laughs> whereas a leader would actually not emphasize this and just say what they did. I asked the members who spoke French to go to similar clubs or something like that. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, or, you or don't even need to we, pretend that. Yeah. A, like a, we statement, like we went out and promoted to similar clubs, something like that might work where it's like, cause otherwise now you're just like sitting there in your, you know, on your throne. <laughs> yeah ordering your squad around and instead it's like you i don't know why aren't you helping yeah i don't mind him showing the organization of it or but yeah i agree it would help to show him participating as well the superior tone of delegated is is not what we're going for though no it's like you need you feel the need to say that because you're feeling insecure in your leadership as opposed to just saying I I asked members to do this or invited them to come up with ideas and this is what they suggested. And Even so, the fact that he pointed out that he was elected president, right? I mean, yeah. that undercut his case for sure. And yeah. now he's sh- now he's talk- talking about delegating again. It's like, nah, you didn't. You we you founded the club, dude. We're, we're giving you credit for for leadership. We already thought already. you were like totally in charge, and now it's it's almost like, wait, what? You yep. Why did you need an election? And if you had one it's obvious that you would be elected president. So why are you telling us that? Yeah. And yeah, now you're telling me about how you delegated like, okay, so now you're bossing people around. It's like, we, we assumed that you were in a leadership role and that you were yeah, making things happen. Yeah. You, you don't need to keep beating on that. This, uh, this semicolon is not good. Mm-hmm. This sentence is 43 words long. Mm-hmm. We can run back the tape, but Ben, you had to take a real deep breath before you got through it. <laughs> yep. And that means it's a bad sentence. It's just too long. And these would be perfectly fine with a period there. That semicolon is cause it's calling attention to itself for no benefit. And, and in fact, to your own detriment. Yeah. So it is a M dash correctly used M dash semicolon, but that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> like you still just shouldn't use it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this next part, I reached out to international students through ASU's international students association. This is disconnected here who wanted to reconnect with their culture through language. Uh, the who is referring back to the students and it's separated from it by five words. But I, I like the fact that I can see you doing something. And so, I mean, I think this is good. I, I, I just, I don't know if I would say it this way, but I would, 
I, I like the idea of seeing how you diversified. And so it instead just buries of, the fact in the next sentence. The, the next sentence is so much better. Today, our average attendance is 100 people per week, and about half of those are of these 40 new members are native foreign language speakers. Yeah. And so instead of saying, I expanded and diversified our membership, which is just telling, skip to the specific things that you did. You don't even need to say to drum up interest. Just say, I asked members to go to similar clubs and invite those clubs to join us. And I reached out to international students through the school's association to find people who wanted to reconnect with their culture through language. Yeah. Yeah. I, something like, um, you know, it was already impressive that you were getting 60, you had 60 members based. It sounded like right away when you founded it, this whole paragraph could be, I realized that we didn't have enough native foreign language speakers. Like, mm-hmm. how's this possible? We yeah. should really have native language speakers. What's going on here. So I did these things and, but just, say that say the things you did differently but you know now we have average attendance of 100 people per week that's that's impressive getting 100 mm-hmm. people per week is impressive yeah it's hard to get people to show up for things and yeah. you know there's a lot of competing things they could be doing going to basketball games and shit you know mm-hmm. and pool parties and instead they're coming to your thing which that's that is impressive it's also and i think it deserves its own sentence that you have 40 new members and half of those are native foreign language speakers. That's like, Oh shit. You, you saw a problem, you identified a problem and you went out and fixed it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and by the way, look, your club benefits, you have, you know, you have a higher, you have a better membership count now. Yeah. And of course having native foreign language speakers is awesome in (laughs) a program called cultural attaches. Yeah. But yeah, that long sentence with a semicolon just really, I don't know. It, what, it like dulls it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know you got to go pretty quick, so oh, we should right. yeah, get through this. I'll continue. So with the increase in membership, I worked with our secretary and vice president to reframe the group's constitution to include a second goal of establishing second language outreach programs to local high schools to foster second language acquisition <laughs> in our community. <laughs> I knew that was going to be a bad sentence after the first five words. Yeah. That is a very common bad construction that people come with. Yeah. I would, do you have a name for that? No, I don't actually. But yeah, it's like I'm trying to tie in what I just said to what I'm going to say next. But why not just say what you're going to say next? You just don't ever start a sentence with with the noun or like with the thing that happened, comma. And yeah. then get to the subject of the sentence. What, that's no. just, no, just start with the subject of the sentence. Just start with I and just say what you did. Yeah. And, and this is strange too. I worked with our secretary and vice president to reframe the group's constitution to include a second goal of establishing second language outreach programs to local high schools to foster second language acquisition in our community. It's like, <sighs> what? Uh, how about... There's three twos in there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm trying to re- oh, wait. rewrite this. So there's four. I'm sorry. Cause I worked with to reframe. I worked with these people to reframe mm-hmm. to include. And then you're reaching out to local high schools to what? Oh, to foster second language acquisition in our community. Yeah. That's, that's just a terrible sentence. 
to f- and whatever. That, but uh, he's yeah. a decent writer. He can just rewrite that himself. Again, comma now, comma get rid of it. I work yeah. with various high schools in my area, setting up a net. I work with various high schools in schools in my area, comma setting up a network of similar clubs on their campuses to establish extracurricular re- resources for interested students. I, I don't like how this this last part of the sentence is this like supposed to be modifying your working with them. I would just jump to. I, well, I mean, we know it's for interested students. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, it's for not things. interested students. <laughs> We're going to get everybody in. Involved. Notice here also the modifier various on high schools. I uh, work with yeah. various high schools in my area. Whoa. Well, if you just put I work with high schools in my area, we would understand that that's various high schools. And what does various doesn't do anything? Nope. A network of similar clubs on their campuses. Just say you set up a network of this type of club on high school campuses. That would be much more impressive than the, it's like, I don't know. It's this, it's this or overselling. Even, yeah. Do we even need network? Like I, I work yeah. with high schools in my area or I work, hmm, what would I say in my area? Let's start with that. Not now. Clearly that's <laughs> now yeah. Yeah, happening. So just say in my area, I work with high schools or I, I work with high schools Oof. in my area to or we've set up how about that we've helped read the last sentence before you even get to this <laughs> okay trying to rework it right yeah. i have established student organizations in two high schools to date whoa hold up you just like made it sound like you're all over the place <laughs> and now you've just admitted that you're you can only say high schools plural because there are two of them uh i have established student organizations in two high schools to date. And I am currently working with two more. Hmm. This is almost like a confession. I admit. Yeah. And yeah, your, your network is now not looking very impressive. Yeah. Uh, That's not, that's not Verizon or Sprint or AT&T. That's like, I don't know. Your network is like, (laughs) I'm trying to think of some fly by night, shitty (laughs) wireless provider that has like no coverage. Um, no, I mean, that's, you're way overselling there with network. You could say if if you hadn't mentioned a network and various high schools and all that, you could have just said, you know, I, we have, we have started, we have established student organizations at two local high schools and are currently working with two more. Our goal is to set up a network across Arizona or whatever. Like maybe that would be okay, but not, we are setting up a network and we have two. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's actually impressive. You've gone out to high schools. You've taken yeah. your time. Apparently you have very little of it, but you've taken the time that you do have to further your mission to students who are going to come to your university and join your organization. So it's cool what you're doing, but the way you're telling us, not not as cool. Okay. If he had told me that he went to one high school and was able to start a club at one high school. And tell us how many people are in that club. That would be interesting. I would be like, awesome. Like, wow, look at this kid. And then, holy shit, he did it again at another high school? Yeah. Wow, that's great. Look, oh, he's working with two more? Holy shit, he's building a whole network. Yeah, you come to the conclusion yourself, and you're sold <laughs> yeah. on it. 
Instead, he did it the other way, which makes me then be like, okay, here's another college kid just way overselling himself. Yeah. And that, yep. Okay, cool. Good. Though it started as nothing more than a requirement for my English major, French was the foundation for my academic, personal, and extracurricular success and has become a defining aspect of my life. So, Micah, just a general rule of thumb, your sentences are too long. Yep. Uh, and this is, I think, I think we can just see that French has become important to you. I would not go ahead and tell us. French is not the point of this statement. No, it's about organizing it's not about this French. group. Yeah. I, it's great that French is so important to you, but your reader doesn't, that's not an impressive thing for your reader. We, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm like, I, I'm, what, you want me to look at you with like, I, I'm seeing you with a beret and like a baguette. I don't, <laughs> it's, but I'm not though, because I want to see you as a, like, I want to picture you in like a business suit forming this student organization and going around to local high schools and get, like on campus, like organizing. Mm-hmm. You could be an on-campus organizer instead of, I, f- I fell in love with French and the pretty girl in my French class. Like, that's not, the, that's not your story. And if you debated the language of your constitution to capture the idea of the goals that you were trying to achieve, that would be interesting, too. That's the kind of stuff that lawyers do. They're like, right. we were debating whether we should say this or that, and this is what we said, and here's why we said it, because we're trying to set up these schools, and then we went and we set it up at these schools. It's like, Wow. That's law. Go out, make a rule, and then implement it. Um, I don't know. There's so much He's more He's trying too about. hard to have a theme here, right? Yeah. Like he mentions French in the beginning, and then he mentions French in the end. Like he thinks he's wrapping it all up with French, but what he's really doing is like putting this haze over the real issue, which I think should definitely be campus organizing, at least from what he's told us here so far. Yeah. I'm now fluent in both French and Chinese. And have spent many summers studying abroad in both Taiwan my and summers. Huh? Oh, my summers. Uh-huh. Uh, I, made, I made lifelong friends from other countries with whom I have spent countless hours. <laughs> countless hours, Ben. Throw it away. Lifelong friends. That's just telling. I founded and then improved the cultural attaches, again, telling, and earned leading roles in two other clubs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> leading roles. What roles? Just tell us each of which is focused similarly on expanding understanding of cultural diversity and promoting linguistic curiosity. Now I'm just confused. Now I'm like vomiting. Yeah. Why are you in what? These other clubs? What are you talking about? Now you sound unfocused. Sounds like you're just, you're also bringing up your study abroad. I don't care. That's on your resume or on your transcript probably. And I don't care. I'm fluent in French and Chinese. I really care. Mm-hmm. Founded the cultural attaches. I really care. All this other stuff is just completely clouding your your main point here. Although I would have to admit that when he says I'm now fluent in both French and Chinese, after all that he's done, I'm like highly skeptical. Like my gut reaction to that was like, what do you mean by fluent? Fluent, fluent, really fluent, or just like yeah, well, dabbed in I, that both. might. <laughs> I'm not. That might be an artifact of, you know, he's done enough overselling earlier in the piece Yeah, that you're now like skeptical of everything he says, right? Like your, your guard starts to go up. I am legitimately skeptical. Micah, are you yeah. fluent in these languages? That, that's a strong claim. I, I hope that you are. In law school, I will study international law, 
oh, and make use of the languages that I love to continue. Wait, oh no, this is going to be a long sentence. I will study international law and make use of the languages that I love to continue the work that I have done with the cultural mm. attaches in a professional setting. Mm. What? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. What? You're going to like help people use their language? He like edited the first part of this much more than he edited the, the last part. Yeah. Like, the writing deteriorated as we got through, as we went further into the piece. He, he's got it. Cause I could tell from the beginning that he's got it, but he, he's not, he didn't edit this enough. I intend to become an attorney for the department of state where I will use my background in languages and international law to ne- negotiate treaties between the United States and other countries. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to broker peace between China <laughs> and any other country that may be having issues with it. Oh, friend, France. <laughs> oh, boy. No longer will the United States and Iran be enemies. <laughs> I feel like we read a statement that did that once, didn't we? That said that I can't remember. I feel like I've read statements like that. People will say it with a straight face. Anyways. So uh, can I say one thing? (laughs) Um, I had Sarah bump this to the top of our list. We've got a big list of people who want to us to review their personal statements. Mm. And thank you everyone for patiently waiting. Um, None of you should be in too much of a goddamn hurry right now because it is June and you're not really applying until September. So, but we will get to as many as we can. But I had Sarah bump this to the top of the list because I thought that it was one of the best ones that I've seen. Mm. What I mean is Micah has, he's a good writer and he has a lot to work with here. Mm -hmm. That said, he clearly needed some help and this has, you know, this needs work, but there's two pages of stuff here that he could, he could cut about a page of it out probably, or two thirds of a page he Mm -hmm. could cut out and then he could give me more specifics about exactly what he did. You know, we talked about a few opportunities to do that with like the drafting of the constitution or the, how the leadership setting up the leadership positions or like, how did you reach out to these high schools and go start a club there? Yeah. That's impressive. Like, I want to hear about that. Um, so anyway, I, this is, I think this is good like for the personal statements we see, this is definitely a, on the end of the good end. Yeah. And that said, he needed help. So badly. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, what I, what I want to say here is that, I, and this is very common. So I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, yeah. Micah. This is what happens is you have an opportunity to write two pages, two, two pages, double spaced. And, each sentence should be well written and you've you've tried to do that you focused on that at the beginning i think that's why you said in your email hey i think it's quite good because you're focusing on how the sentences sound you let go of that as you went through the passage or the statement but at the beginning you were you know making sure every semicolon was placed in a place that you thought fit but what you're not focusing on is the fact that not every one of your sentences are moving the ball forward. And what we're trying to do when we work with people and write personal statements is we want every sentence to be perfect stylistically. 
which is what I think you were talking about in your email and thinking about, but also that every sentence has is factual and therefore persuasive and tells us something about you. And if you can do that with every sentence and it's clearly written, then it's like you're coming at the reviewer with a, a right punch and then a left punch and then a right punch. What you're doing here is you're kind of sprinkling water on the reader half the time. And then every now and then you come up with a punch and it's like, wow, that's cool. Let's, let me learn a bit more about that. And then you start going off into the clouds again. And it's like, you're wasting all these opportunities. Each sentence is an opportunity to push yourself forward and to present yourself as someone doing awesome things. I mean, you, every day you spend, there's 24 hours of your, yourself doing things and you only have so many sentences that you can write about your life in this short personal statement. We can't waste any time on things that are overselling, not telling us what you're actually doing, and that are off point. Um, and that's what people have to really focus on first. And then we spend, you know, what, the rest of the time working on style and making that message clear. But if your message isn't the right message, it just it doesn't matter. Yeah, these last two paragraphs are really, really fluffy and need to be cut down quite a lot. Um, the whole French, I love French. I, I just think that can all be cut out. Like, uh, you're, you know, French is the foundation of your personal whatever because of your wife that you met. I don't, I, we don't really need to hear about that. We're, we're trying to hear about you as a lawyer. And so it's just kind of a distraction to have all these million other things in there. What do you think about the, the Department of State... I, I don't like any of this. I I okay. I think that if you're going to if you have this particular plan, you need to show me why you know this is a good plan. Right? Right now you're just kind of coming out and saying, I intend to do this and I'm also thinking to myself, wait, I'm going to use my background in languages and international law to negotiate treaties between the United States and other countries. It's like do you have any clue how you're going to get to that position? It just sounds yeah, naive. exactly. Like, who do you know at the Department of State? What's your experience working with something that's even remotely connected to the Department of State? Yeah, like if you had come and this whole personal statement about was about the work you've done in a company or government that shows experience with these kinds of things, then we would have faith that you see the path to this end result. Right now, I have no clue. All you've done is a college organization and worked with high schools. Yeah, do you have you worked at an embassy? Have you worked with the government at all? Have you like what's your connection to that to be able to make that claim? I mean, I I was going to say that if he wanted to say it in a much more humble way, you know, that that I wouldn't mind one sentence briefly about a dream, you know, that he has to maybe someday work at the Department of State. But him telling us that he's going to be negotiating treaties between the United States and other countries, I don't know. That's just, that's a very, like, Trumpian claim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do the deal. We're going to do the deal. I'm a deal maker. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make this country so great. We're going to drain the swamp. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot. It's like it's it's a lot for you know who he must be twenty one, and that's just it's just a lot. So I I would 
a little, he needs a little, he needs to tone it down at the very least. And I don't know, Ben, maybe you're voting for just nixing the Department of State entirely. And the, sec- the, the last paragraph, I don't really understand. I will study international law and make use of the languages that I love to continue the work that I've done with the cultural attaches in a professional setting. <laughs> I, wh- wh- what do you think lawyers do? Like, wh- what? Like, and then this is your definition of continuing that work is to negotiate treaties between the United States and other countries. Treaties are often about business, making money. I don't understand how that has to do with. Yeah, that's true. When I hear people, I used to ask in my class, like in the first day, you know, like getting to know people, I used to be like, oh, so what kind of a lawyer do you want to be? And I stopped asking that question because I just got too bored with people that are like, oh, I'm going to study international law. It's like, hmm. There isn't really a thing called international law. (laughs) I'm going to study international human rights. It's like, "Mm, but what job is that? Yeah. Like you're going to, who, who, where, who's going to pay you? Like you're going to go to the Hague (laughs) and argue cases before them. Like, I don't understand. That reminds me of the time that I got an email from a former student of mine who was at the Hague. Yeah. But that student, yeah, did go to Stanford law school and that's how you get to you know the hague but yeah (laughs) like and hey uh this you know i i think micah based on micah's grades and micah's lsat practice test scores you know like micah very well could go to stanford Mm -hmm. and end up at the hague I just don't know that your Stanford personal statement, this, that's a, that's a really bold claim. (laughs) The people at Stanford know what that takes. And you just saying you're going to become an attorney for the department of state. uh... Well, you know, it's like the people who are like getting one (laughs) high one seventies, one eighty, and they're freaking out about whether or not they'll get into school and the schools that they want to get into. Right. They're like, well, I don't know. You know, am I going to get into Stanford or Yale and, what should I say when I apply here? And it's like they realize that their chances are better because they've done all this work and they've scored high scores and they've gotten their GPA up, but they don't see it as a given. It's like people, I I don't know if this is true for you, Micah, but I feel like sometimes people who don't have the background think that these things are like easier than they are. Right? Like it's flipped almost. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Just a little bit of humility will go a long way here. It would be a much more powerful statement without all the overselling and all the big dramatic conclusions. Thank you, Micah, for accepting our challenge. Uh, thank you for submitting what really was a, it, this really is a better than average personal statement. It's clear that you are trying to take our advice. Um, and now we've given you a whole bunch more. So, uh, definitely appreciate you reaching out. Anything final, yeah. final thoughts? Thanks, ben? Micah. Appreciate the uh, willingness to go through this process with us. <laughs> yeah. And thanks to all of our <laughs> listeners for wanting to be guinea pigs. Um, we, we appreciate that it takes a bit of bravery to submit to this. So, you know, it, it's a sign of somebody who wants to improve. So that, yeah. that's awesome. Great. Yeah. Cool. Um, Let's see. We have 1,300 some members in the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. We have a Facebook page that you can like. Uh, It's at Thinking LSAT everywhere, including Instagram, uh, Twitter. I'm at NFox on Twitter. Ben's at Olson Benjamin on Twitter. 
Go to strategyprep.com and foxlsat.com to learn about our live classes in DC, LA, and San Francisco. Uh, we also have all sorts of different online and one-on-one options, including the LSAT Demon. That's lsatdemon.com. Do a free trial. Um, hey, maybe sign up for a free trial and do a proctored practice test with uh, other students across the country. You can listen all sorts of ways, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, thinkinglset.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes. It's the only way we uh, people, anybody ever find out about us. Anything else, Ben? That's it. That is it. That was show number 196. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Bye.